The Son of Neptune, Chapter 5, Hazel. Hazel felt like she'd just introduced two nuclear bombs. Now she was waiting to see which one exploded first. Hi, I'm Ava. I'm Neve. And I'm Brayden. And this is Return to Camp Half-Blood, the English class that you always wanted. Where we analyze the Percy Jackson and Heroes of Olympus books through a new theme every week. I said demigod. That was weird. Demigod. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you gotta change it up a bit sometimes, you know? Sure. Yeah. Put a spin on a common phrase. (laughs) So true. Speaking of putting a spin on a common phrase, Neve, Ava, how are we doing this week? Because normally I say Ava, Neve. Oh! Oh! (laughs) <laughs> what a crazy change whoa good <laughs> I'm so not convinced by that I'm good my dog keeps okay niche problem incoming um, my dog got his nails got so long at one point over quarantine that he when like there wasn't any dog groomers available he started slipping and sliding on our hardwood floors. So my family put rugs all over the, the like floors so he could walk. But now his nails are cut. And he's still be slipping and sliding because he like runs across the floors because he's like scared. So obviously he's gonna slip. And it's come to the point where I'm like, we need to just remove the rugs. Like there's like no like we have because he's like jumping from rug to rug and then slipping on his way onto the rug because he gets scared. And he's so old. He's like not. He's like twelve, but he's he's elder, and he keeps slipping, and it's become a point of contention <laughs> because I'm like, we need to just get the rugs out of the house, and they're like, no, we feel bad, and I'm like, but he can't be doing this all the time. <laughs> like he can't be running and slipping. Like this is impractical. Um, and it's come to the point now where my mom at one point yelled, like was like he slipped, and she was like, come on, Nick, you're faking it. I was like, no, he can't. <laughs> That's hilarious. Faking it now. Now it's become like a joke. Like whenever he slips, it's like we, we are faking it now, Mickey. He's a dog. No one's know it. That's so cute. Aw. He's doing his best. But that's how I'm doing. Wow. I'm doing differently. Um <laughs> my dog also slides across the floor, but I guess we just decided to let him. Um, (laughs) I don't know. Um, but I'm okay. Today has been a lot better than, I don't know, for some reason yesterday was like a really, really bad day for me. Um, but today has been a lot better. I, um, am wearing this sweater that I got in the clearance section at Forever 21 and, um, two random people that I ran into today, people I didn't know, just people I, I guess I met at Barnes and Noble and Target like complimenting me on my sweater. I was like, oh my God, thanks. And um, I'm finishing the Winter Soldier after this. I'm so excited about it. At long, long last. I know it sounds like it's taken me four weeks to watch this movie um, to the listeners, but no, it's actually only been probably like four or five days <laughs> because it's crunch time. Um, but yeah, I'm okay. I am seeing um, family friends on Thursday and Friday. And I'm really excited about that. Cause I love them. And that's all I know. <laughs> How are you, Brayden? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I, 
I've I've been catching up on on my watching I of of like awards films and stuff. I watched Don't Look Up. I still I really know. Like I still know how I feel about it. I'm not gonna watch it. Things that make me existential. Ooh, bad, bad, bad. Oh, it sent me into an existential dread spiral for like three hours. Like, oh, absolutely. So I will not be watching it. (laughs) It is like one of the most polarizing movies that has come out recently. Yeah. And it has polarized myself. Like, (laughs) I don't know how I feel about it. I gave it like, I gave it three stars on Letterboxd because I can't decide if I hate it or I love it. So it's medium. Fair. I need to start doing Letterboxd. I mean, not to spoil it. I won't spoil it for anyone who wants to watch it. But, like, my biggest thing with it is just I majorly respect something that was going out on a platform like Netflix to, like, actually defy expectations. Yeah, that's true. And had, like, big names like Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio. Meryl. To, like... Defy expectation of how you think the movie's going to end. In a, I'm not going to say anything, but yeah. it was it was interesting in that way. No, yes, I really like the ending. If it ended differently, it would have been a bad movie. Yeah, I I saw someone on Twitter. I think call it um, the film version of the Imagine video. <laughs> That's funny. And I have to admit. I th- I think they're right. And I don't think that makes it a bad movie. No, but I, I think do th- they're right, and I think that they made it like that on purpose. Like, I think the filmmaker's goal was to be the Imagine. To, like, call it out. And it wasn't necessarily successful. As successful as the filmmakers probably wanted it to be. But I think that it was trying to, like, call out the Imagine video-esque way of dealing with problems. See, I, I think... I think that's what I really need to know is like if that was intentional or not, because that uh-huh. completely like if that was what they were going for, it's brilliant. <laughs> and if it's just what happened, it's awful, you know? Yeah. Anyways, Jennifer Lawrence was fantastic in it. Stellar. So yeah. good. I'm so glad for the return of J Law. Me too. I love J Law. She's great. And welcome back to Return to Camp Half-Blood. <laughs> a Jennifer Lawrence podcast. A Jennifer Lawrence podcast where we dis- yep. discuss the daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. Through, through the theme of, of she's great. <laughs> um, but we are discussing the son of Neptune uh, chapters five through eight through the theme of contractualism and our narrator this week is Hazel, not Jennifer Lawrence. Sorry to disappoint. Still love Hazel, though. Still love Hazel. I love Hazel. I really do. I Because I don't remember how far I got into this book. Um, I think, to be completely honest, I think perhaps I just read the bit at the end of last year that was like, this is the next book. So... <laughs> I, because here yeah. was the thing. It was like, I know who all, I, I have always known who all these characters were. I like always knew who Frank and Hazel were just because they were also just a large part of the universe. But I don't think I ever got to know them 
as well as maybe I'd have liked to. And now I am. And this is beginning to be new material for me. And I'm now officially a Reina stan. So that's great. Um, okay. Before before we get into the meat of the episode, I have a couple questions for you, Ava, that may determine how we continue about this podcast. Okay. I need to gauge what you know. Like I'm gonna like I'm gonna ask you a couple questions <laughs> about this book, and to decide at some point we're going to have to become a like non-spoilery podcast. <laughs> oh shit, you're right. I didn't even think about that. Because there's gonna be a point where each of us drops out, and like I'm gonna be the last person who knows everything. Yeah. And so we need to at whatever point, Ava, who's read the least doesn't know things then we're not going to spoil past what we've read wow okay but to figure that out do you know what what hazel and her mom are going to alaska to do no (laughs) gotcha okay so you definitely didn't finish this book do you know what the deal with frank's log is no. Frank's what? Oh, then you have... Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Ava knows nothing beyond what we've read. This is true. <laughs> because because I, I accidentally... I started listening to the, ne- the next chapters already, and Frank's lo- log stuff gets introduced in the, the next chapter. So, um... So, yeah. Okay. From this point on, we will not be spoiling anything that comes after unless it's something that's like big and everyone pretty much already knows about like we can spoil like we know that Nico's gay like things I like that I was about to say that we can talk about that Nico's gay that was like the biggest, the biggest one that I could think of Yeah. <laughs> like we know that Nico's gay we know that they like sail on the Argo to to greet like like the, bi- the big plot points we know but we will we will pretend like no one knows what's going to happen. Mostly, we will. We're not going to spoil anything for Ava. It's going to be fun yeah. for you guys to watch me. Like it will be discover. hard for us guys, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be really hard. But we're going to do it. It's uh-huh. what a hard, hard change. <laughs> guys, I think if I had finished this book, I would have taken Latin in high school. I just, I had that thought when I was reading. I was like, damn, like I wouldn't have had to endure all of the years of French that I did. <laughs> I had just finished The Son of Neptune. What could have been. What could have been. And what will never be. And what will be next is Neve's summary of these chapters. Dear God, guys. Okay. Okay. Are you ready? No. Let me think. I promise I read it. It's just like there's a lot of stuff that happens in these chapters that like I don't remember the order of it. You know? I do know. (laughs) Okay. I'm gonna try and do this in the most general terms as possible. Let's do it. All right. Three, two, one, try your best. Our boy is back part two. It's Nico now though. Percy definitely knows him and he's like, why do you know me? And Nico's like, not having it is not going to explain why he knows him. Um, But Nico is Hazel's, we're now under Hazel's POV. um, 
and we learn a little bit about her backstory with her mom and her like and her curse of finding uh cursed rocks <laughs> much more in- intricate than that but you know <laughs> then she um after she has that little blackout flashback they go and they eat dinner um together and then they go for the fight i think i'm done the dinner scene's really cute it is all right you're out of time did I forget much? I mean, I, I you forgot the, the entire story. like backstory, but that's about it. Because I had forty-five seconds. I know, but you you wasted three. You had three more seconds at the end that you didn't use. Oh my god! Well, let's talk about Hazel's backstory then. Cool. Well, okay. She's from from New Orleans, and from Her, back in time. From back and from back in time, which is actually super important. Um. Her mom is a fortune teller, but she's not really, but, uh, she, she gets contacted by Gia, who, is it clear that it's Gia? Like, do No, we don't know that. But I think we can assume. Uh-huh. I don't she's think that's... A... something that seems sinister because Pluto doesn't want her to go. Yeah. And then Pluto comes and gives, gives to me, But whatever. I don't know. It was it was confusing in the sense of like I genuinely don't know who wants to go where and why and why is she going to this place, but I knew it was some kind of supernatural thing, so it's whatever. Cause it's a mystery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Agatha Christie could never write the son of Neptune. <laughs> Period. She could not. She's dead. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, songs? (laughs) I'll go first. I wanted to pick something that was, like, kind of jazzy because New Orleans. um, So I was going to go with, like, 60s jazz, but then I was driving home from work, and I heard, like, on my shuffle came Dirty Computer by Janelle Monae, and I was like, this is it. It is, like, a jazzy R&B song. it just like kind of has that like I'm new but I'm old and I'm like broken but like I'm still good like I'm like that's like the the themes of it and like the sound is very jazzy it just reminded me a lot of Hazel and I I thought it, it fit these chapters well nice thank you I know some of that album but I've never listened to it straight through and this is just me having to do so <laughs> you should you should listen to every single janelle monet album straight she's through. so good so good so she's good. really good yeah. <laughs> um well i was thinking i was like do i pick a haha funny pick um and i was gonna i'm gonna say it i was gonna pick fight song um by <laughs> rachel platten to be oh funny what happened to Rachel Platten? What, what happened to her? Oh, good question. One hit wonder. Wait, that's mean. Um, I mean, that's true. She might have another one. We'll see. Oh, no, she did. Two hit wonder. Okay. Stand by you. Okay. On the rise. Understood. 
no, that sounds so condescending. Rachel, I'm sure you're such a nice person. But no, my real pick is, um, it's a song called, okay, I actually don't know how popular this is. So if you know it, I'm happy for you. But it's a song called Break My Baby by Kaleo or something. I don't know. I think I genuinely probably heard it playing when I was trying to watch that one season of Love Island before I got bored. And then I shazammed it. And now it's on my January playlist. <laughs> so, um, but it's good. It's, it's a, it's this weirdly intense sounding, almost like hosier like song that, um, first of all, the vibe matches Camp Jupiter. Um, but also it's kind of about like, um, alliances in the face of like brutality, which is really cool. Nice. Neve, my pick. Actors, okay. Get ready to hear a lot of John Bellion picks from me during this album, specifically, like during this book, specifically from the album um, "Glory Sound Prep." I just feel like it sounds. I can't explain it, but it sounds very campy. <laughs> have no other words other than it just sounds like it and i think for this one uh, okay i'm gonna go with i'm gonna go with cautionary tales by john bellion because it is a really cool song about like about a like legendary person Oh, I don't know how to describe it, but it like it just makes sense because it's like talking about someone from like the very like from the past who has fate in the now. And I think that fit Hazel. Also, it's just sounds cool. So nice. Thank you. All right. What were our favorite moments from these chapters? So how you feel about Piper is how I feel about Hazel. I love Hazel. One of my, like, my favorite character in this entire, like, Heroes of Olympus series. She's, she's baddie. I love her so much. I'm glad she's here. Um, so most, I was just mostly happy. I was like, I forgot how much I loved her until I started reading these chapters in. I was like, oh my God, yes. Tortured soul queen. I love her so much. Oh, I mean, off of that, I feel like how you guys feel about your respective girl bosses is how I feel about Reyna. Um... I am turning into an unstoppable, aggressive Raina Stan. I love her. She and it is makes total and complete sense for you. <laughs> I was going to say, I have never been more unsurprised. <laughs> right? No, and I was actually thinking that, like I was reading <laughs> today and I was like, mm, they're going to say it's so predictable. <laughs> yes. Um, but she is just... She is what Azula wanted to be. She is what Clarice wanted to be. She is all of these. She's the blueprint. She is this elegant, stunning, girl boss, badass, domineering queen. And I love her so much. So if anything bad happens to her, I'm not going to look at your reactions right now. Um, I will simply pass away. (laughs) So I love the part where she introduced her two metal dogs because that was... So cool. I want two metal dogs named after silver and gold. What the hell? That's so cool. I do love the dogs. The dogs are great. I mean, just dogs in general are great. 
True. I I was so happy Nico was back. Yes. We love some Nico. This attitude change too, coming from him. Yeah, he becomes even more mysterious. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not an easy feat. No. When he, it was so sad when he almost said Bianca's name. Oh my God. That is a really like sad thing that I forgot about. That is like a through line throughout Hazel's narrative is like, I wonder, I wonder if that's what he said to Bianca. I was like, oh my God. Like, not only does she feel like it sucks because like he's trying to replace his sister, but also she, but whether he is or not, like he has a hard time not doing it. And like, she has a hard time feeling like he's not doing it because he is, but also he's not. It's so complicated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like she wants it too. Like she wants that kind of like emotional, like platonic familial intimacy with someone. And like, she didn't get that with her mother. So. Mommy issues. Yeah. Poor girl. Also, I forgot that Bianca chose rebirth. And that's why he couldn't. Because it's not really explained in these chapters why Hazel was the replacement yet. Like, this is not a chapter set where we learn that. Um, for for Brayden. Yes. <laughs> Don't spoil that. We did not learn it. But, like, we... It was interesting to... I, I forgot that that's why Hazel was brought in. Because Bianca chose rebirth. So crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah, I completely forgot about that. And I was like, oh. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back to talk about the theme of contractualism. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. Okay, so before we get into discussions about the theme, what is contractualism? Contractualism is just like an umbrella term for like uh, like social contracts. It's like what we owe each other in like social interactions is what, what this word means. Because um, I think I Googled what we owe each other, word for what we owe each other. Yeah. <laughs> and um, but like that's the idea that we're talking about so where do we see contractualism in these chapters well Percy and Hazel now have 
some big things that they owe to each other. Well, yeah, actually to each other. I was going to say that Percy just owes to Hazel to like not fuck up. So Hazel doesn't get dragged down with him, but also that Hazel owes to Percy to teach him the ways of the camp and like guide him around and stuff like that. So yeah. Interesting, interesting contract from actually this was, it was like mid chapters, right? Yeah. He, He stands for him. Yeah. 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 I think, I think that was the really most, like the most interesting moment of it in these chapters is like, we have this, this social contract between Frank Hazel and Percy that is created because like, because they are the ones on guard. So Percy saved their lives Mm. and now they feel like they owe something to Percy because he saved their lives. And like, that's why like Frank stands up and he's like, I I will vouch for Percy. And then they're like, actually you can't do that because you're on probation. Um, And then Hazel also stands up, not even just because I feel like Hazel believes she owes Percy less, but she stands up more because like, I think she believes she owes something to Percy, but the the reason she stands up for him is because also because of Frank, like if someone else had done it, she wouldn't, I don't think she would have been as apt to, I think she still would have, because I think she's a nice person, like if Mm -hmm. no one else was going to do it, but I think it just creates this interesting bond between them all where like Percy gave them something. So they give Percy something, but are they like, I think it raises the question of like in social contracts, what does uh, like giving someone something of equal or greater value mean in a social context? Right. That's the thing. Cause then you get to the really tough part of like trying to equate like an exchange with like, I don't like like a physical exchange with like an emotional exchange. And like, that's so difficult because like friendship is something that should never be like monetized, like treated as like a good or a service. Um, and so like, that's so rough. Like I kind of didn't even think about that when I was reading, I, I genuinely thought that like Frank and Hazel kind of chose to, like interact with Percy as much as they do just because like they took a liking to him and they were like relating to him on an outsider level. Um, but that's so interesting about like kind of the isolating factor of like, are they doing this because I saved them? You know, like even if they end up growing attached to each other, like that route will always be there. That's hard. Yeah. And I think it, it's interesting because like social contracts work on like so many different levels where like, Technically, a law is a social contract because, like, in, like, any governing body, like, it, you are agreeing to, like, give up something for protection. And, like, a law is, like, okay, you're not going to be able to do this, but it's to keep everyone safe. Right. And I, th- I think that's with... And then, but also, you have things like friendships also navigate social contracts where like a friendship is a relationship and therefore it's a social contract and there are rules of what that is, but it's not as defined as a law or a some, or like a explicit rule. Mm -hmm. And you can, the problem with a contract that's not explicit 
is that the terms can be different on either side. Mm. Thinking about that, because I, I thought a lot with like contractualism between Nico and Percy in this incredibly specific and bizarre situation. Because they're like not friends. <laughs> so we can't think of them in the terms of like friendship. But in this incredibly specific situation where one person has information that would be incredibly helpful to Nico, like Nico being the person who has the information, would be incredibly helpful to Percy, who's been put in this dire, like, wiped memory situation, and Nico choosing to withhold that. Like, even on a friend level, that's like, you feel it, like, I feel like basic unwritten rules of how people should treat each other and how people should help each other you that is a rule that like if you, someone is in a dire situation like percy is in you should share with them information that you know that could help them with the whole memory thing but nico you know probably feels that he doesn't owe that to percy or doesn't owe percy anything from very deep-seated issues regarding nico's sister yeah so. but then there's also the whole level of Percy or Nico knows what the gods are planning for yeah, some yeah. reason that we don't really know why he knows it. Mm-hmm. So he also kind of knows that he, well, he technically can tell Percy these things. He also can't because yeah. there will be like retribution from Hera if he does. Mm-hmm. And so like he has to navigate like how, I think he believes he owes something to Percy and has to decide whether telling him the truth or letting him figure it out. And like, he can, he can still be of some help to like, he does some, he guides Hazel a lot. He like, and he could, he wouldn't be able to do that if he told Percy the truth, because then Hera wouldn't, would probably hurt him, mm-hmm. but would that, would it be more help? Would Percy be more helpful on his own if he had his memories back? So mm-hmm. it's like this, this choice that he has to weigh of like, what is the best option? Right. Yeah. I was also feeling a little bit of like, I was getting the impression that Nico, like, like helping Percy wasn't exactly his first priority, you know? Like I feel like he he very much feels like he owes something to Hazel in a pure way. Like in a sense of like, I made this decision out of logic and rationality and I have the upper hand here. Um, So I will help my, like I will help this girl who's like my half sister. Um, And then I think this contractualism when you talk about his obligation to Percy stems out of a lot of stuff that he can't control. And so he kind of resents it. Um, whether that is Bianca or whether that is their own like dynamic. Um, I don't know. It's probably a mixture of both, but like you can kind of feel the angst, you know what I mean? Like you can kind of feel that it's not like Hazel comments on it a bunch that it's kind of like, huh? Like, why is he being like this around Percy? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it's clearly not a big priority for him right now. Um, and I'm like, yeah, honestly, like I felt it. Like it was illustrated very well. 
Yeah, because it's, it's such a very nuanced and complicated relationship. It is. Yeah. That I feel like in a lot of ways, especially like in these chapters, the dynamic between Nico and Percy reminds me a lot of the dynamic that the gods tend to have with mortals in just in like the power imbalance that there is in the situation where like Nico has a lot more power in the situation reminding me a lot of the another big part of this chapter is like the scene with with uh Hazel's mother Marie right yeah Marie Marie Levesque Mm -hmm. and Pluto and there's another really complicated social contract of what does what does a god owe a mortal and what does a mortal owe a god complicated by what does a partner owe someone they had a child with right and it's so hard because you typically i feel like decorum like as we know it is dictated by history like it's dictated by what we've seen before and like what we see to be the blueprint there is no blueprint for like a supernatural being like colloquially addressing a mortal like there's nothing like that so they kind of have to make it up as they go and then also having to deal with i feel bad for all the people who like have how you say run into gods in their lifetimes because like that is just so ridiculously hard to handle there's no like as far as you know there is no one who has ever done that before um there is no set way of how to act. There's no blueprint. And so this seemingly more powerful being kind of gets to dictate that, like, what? I don't know. It, it's just, it's such a tough position. And I feel like you need to be very self-aware to handle it in a way that's not going to be detrimental, which yeah. is why, like, we love Sally. But <laughs> I don't know. It's just, that's such a tough situation. It's because... Like you were saying, the social contracts we create each other are based off our history of experience with them. And if you have never experienced anything to draw from, you don't know how to act in the situation. You don't know what you owe each other because, like, how, how is she supposed to believe anything he says? Like, he's saying he's trying to protect her, but he is she's never been given anything that that she should believe that it's like an awful position where like she doesn't really know how to act we've we've seen gods destroy so many mortals that have they've taken as lovers because of this exact reason it's like sally bounced back really well but like luke's mom was destroyed because there is no social contract to in that they can base it off of it's they just kind of have to work their way through it and compare it to the way the closest things they can experience which are like mortal relationships Mm -hmm. but that's not the same thing like the gods are experiencing it so much differently yeah Wow, that's very heavy theological. I love it. Theory. <laughs> Can I switch topics? Yes. It'll only be for a brief moment because this isn't there isn't much to discuss here, other than this is not a contract. 
but um, Percy and Grover's empathy link is still there. And yes. Two sentences about it, and then we move on. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Like, John the Fun. Like, you know, you have an empathy link with someone. Like, it's definitely being suppressed, but like, you definitely have one. And then we move on. I was like, ah. and we don't even ever really see Grover again. Mm-hmm. So, him. what was the point? Rest in peace. Yeah. Speaking of another uh, set of social contracts that we have come up is that like Percy is a, in a completely new society. Yep. The like we we get a lot more explanation of like how the Legion works in these chapters from Hazel's point of view, and the to be thrust into like I mean Percy doesn't really have any memories, so. But it's unclear what he, like, has of common knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, but he doesn't, like, he's thrown into the situation where the, the Legion acts as a society with an almost entirely different set of rules than Camp Half-Blood, but also, like, the world in general. It just operates very differently. And it's both, it's a culture shock thing, where it's, like, both, there are different, like, laws and rules on a, like, legal and, like, structural sense. But there's also different social norms and different expectations that aren't necessarily, like, written rules, but they're implied. But now Percy has to explore them for the first time. And he doesn't know what a co- cohort is or a legion or what all this means. He doesn't know the structure of the god the roman gods or like what they mean or the values that they place upon things like uh, like we find out the, that frank is is shamed for being a, an archer which like is a like really like respectable thing in in uh on the greek side and so like these differences are so hard to pick up in a situation like this Yeah. I agree. Period. Any more thoughts on contractualism? I'm good. I'm fine. All right. Sass moments. Yeah. I'll go first because, listen, lots of funny moments in this chapter. Hazel is very funny. Love her. But I have to give mine, I have to change the definition because I just have to bring this up of like moment that made me tear up the most because I had a deep emotional, like deep emotional reaction to this line of Percy got a cheeseburger and a strange looking soda that was bright blue. Hazel didn't understand that. Percy tried it and grinned. This makes me happy, he said. I don't know why, but it does. Holy fuck. Oh my God. The emotional reaction to this, some may see it as funny, which is why I'm going to throw it in a sass moment. It's like, oh, funny callback to, but I see it as like, oh my God. Yeah. It's so sweet. (laughs) Mine is, is from the weirdest section that Rick has probably ever written in something. Uh, Frank side. He's Okay. He's the son of Bacchus, the wine god. He's got a drinking problem. Percy's eyes widened. You let him drink wine? 
Gods no, Hazel said. That would be a disaster. He's addicted to red Kool-Aid. Gang. What? I, I don't get Gang. it. It's a little questionable. <laughs> but it's fun, I guess, for the reader. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm like, okay. What a what a weird thing for him to introduce so lightly. Yeah, what a fun thing to throw in. <laughs> Um, mine is, I was going to say it's similar. It's not. It's, um, (laughs) in maybe chapter seven. I don't know. Um, a good letter could get you a position in the better cohorts. Sometimes evil, even special jobs like Legion messenger, which made you exempt from the grunt work, like digging ditches or conjugating Latin verbs. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) so true. I hate verb conjugation. Always have, always will. So I resonated (laughs) with that and also laughed. (laughs) I like that it implies that, like, it's a job. Like, someone's, like, doing it for the first time. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a such a specific situation. It's very funny. Yeah. All right. Offerings. <sighs> what a big sigh. <clears throat> I... <sighs> I always hesitate before giving an offering to my little favorites because I'm yeah. like, they have to, they have to earn it. Like, honestly, I feel like it's more than anyone else. It's like Zoe and Clarice had to earn their little offerings. And I feel like Raina does as well because she's joining and beca- like it's, it's becoming a trifecta. Um, but she just did so well. And like, you can tell she has her shit together um, and is extremely responsible and has cool animals. And I don't know, she just like her back must hurt from carrying that literal whole camp. So for her, that's hilarious because I'm giving mine to Hazel and didn't think about that at all. But I really do think that she did earn an offering in this section as we learn a lot of sad things about her life. Um, and her curse and her current situation. So for Hazel. Also just because I'm glad she's here. Yeah, pour one out for Hazel. <laughs> she's still here. She's still alive. Well, also she's not. <laughs> Life and death gets complicated in this series. <laughs> I sense that. <laughs> um, my offering is for Sammy. Oh, because he he goes on his little birthday date with Hazel and he kisses her and then and then they never see each other again. (laughs) Oh, sad. sad. I know. And I just I felt bad for him. I feel bad for Hazel, too. But Hazel Hazel got hers this week. So I, I, I felt the need to to. Share the love with Sammy. Yeah. Oh my god. So sad. So sad. All right. Who are we voting off? Time to get mean. I mean, who's gonna say it first, right? Are we you not all thinking the same? Okay. Well, this little motherfucker. Okay, I'm gonna vote off Octavian, not because he's a little bitch. <laughs> But because he rips 
stuffed animals apart. I swear to God, I hadn't, and I'm related to him. That sucks. We have the same dad. <laughs> like, that's terrible. <laughs> the children of Apollo. And I literally hate it here. Um, like, I actually had nightmares about that happening when I was a kid. Like, I don't know why I'd think about that in the middle of the day and I'd like almost cry. Like the idea of like someone like ripping the head off of my stuffed animal. Like, I don't know why, but maybe I saw it like on TV and was like, holy fuck, new nightmare unlocked. Like, so bad. <laughs> and like, this man actually makes it come true and like has no soul about it. And like, it's giving 11 year old Voldemort a half blood prince. I, I, I could not deal with Octavian because of those specific actions. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I don't even know if I didn't say this out loud. Listen, it's the haha choice, but also it has deeper. I'm giving mine to the gold bar that trips Hazel. <laughs> <laughs> Most of me, like, you know, because don't trip Hazel, but also it's part of her curse and brings her a whole lot of trouble in her life generally the the stones that be popping out when she walks by stones be popping off and popping mm-hmm. out so that's Wait. mine all right i uh i don't really know i grr uh, <laughs> I don't want to just hop on Octavian because he's awful, but honestly, I I'm gonna say I don't like Don the Fawn. I was thinking that too. If someone had said Octavian, I would have said Don the Fawn because he's just annoying. How you speak to women should not be like that. I was gonna say he does not treat women well, <laughs> and he You're has right. such frat boy energy. Yep. I'm not here for it. This is not the 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 satyr that I've signed up for. Mm. I give me Grover, give me Coach Hedge. Fuck Don the Fawn. Yep. I agree. I don't like him. Yeah. Die. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty folks, that's all for this week. Join us next week where we'll, we will be discussing chapters 9 through 12 through the theme of disappointment. Followers <laughs> of the media platforms. We're at Return to Camp on every platform that matters. We also have a coffee account and a Red Bubble store and a website, returntocamp.com. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.